Welcome to the Joys of Binge Reading, the show for anyone who ever got to the end of a great book and wanted to read the next instalment. We interview successful series authors and recommend the best in mystery, suspense, historical and romance series, so you'll never be without a book you can't put down. You'll find this episode's show notes, a free ebook, and lots more information at thejoysofbingereading.com. And now, here's our show. Bronwyn Sauer's romantic comedy, Lovestruck, is set in an island resort run by a lovably dysfunctional family. A perfect place for tangled love and tourists seeking tropical paradise. Perfect, that is, except when the world is in lockdown. Hi there, I'm your host Jenny Wheeler and in today's episode of Binge Reading, Bronwyn talks about the complications of writing romantic comedy in a pandemic when you're not even sure if your characters will be able to fly anywhere. Just to keep you happy, we've got an isolation giveaway, three laugh out loud paperback copies of Lovestruck for three lucky readers, just the medicine for these testing times. Enter the draw online at thejoysofbingereading.com or on our Binge Reading Facebook page. Entries close May 2, so get in there. And remember, we always love to hear your comments on the show, so go online and talk to us. But now, here's Bronwyn. Hello there, Bronwyn, and welcome to the show. It's great to have you with us. Hi, Jenny. It's great to be back. Now, look, yes, you're talking about back because you are the first person ever that we've had on a second time. And that's really a milestone for the for the show, actually, partly perhaps just that we've been going a couple of years now, but also because you have changed both your writer name and your genre. So the last time we talked to you, you were Bryn Kelly and you were doing romantic suspense and having a lot of praise and success with a four-book series called The Legionnaires. You won starred reviews and got a reader award and you were going great guns with that. So what made you decide to change horses, so to speak? Well, yeah, as you say, it was a great start and I was very lucky uh, as a debut author to uh, to be able to be published uh, by a, a big New York publisher and they, they put the first books out hardcover. It was all looking great and they thought that that I would be the next big thing, and the genre, which is uh, epic, global, uh, romantic thrillers, would be the next big thing. Turned out we were ne- neither of us was. Um, it didn't. It seemed that because we were targeting the US market uh, primarily, as well as Canada, uh, the US seemed to go very insular in its uh, reading choices when it came to romantic thrillers, and my books didn't sell in the uh, in the numbers that the publishers had been hoping for. And they were still good sales, especially for a New Zealand author. You know, they were the sales. If you got that for a New Zealand published book, it would be a mega bestseller. But it wasn't enough to get me a fifth book or, or a new contract, a new series. So it left me in a bit of a crossroads. And uh, I decided – so I, I could either – uh, change my romantic thriller voice to be a bit more US set uh, and a bit more domestic or I had this other hankering as well to write something a lot lighter and when I first started uh, playing around seriously with with, with fiction uh, it, you know with, with full-length novels about I don't know 12 years ago that was the voice I started with the lighter romantic comedy voice and then I, I ended up finding the most success in the romantic suspense voice but I always had in, in my mind that I wanted to try out this lighter voice. Uh, so I, I was at this crossroads and I knew I could either uh, stay in the US market 
uh, and maybe go indie or or try other publishers, or I could try this other thing while I while I'm still a beginning author before I've got a big following or you know before I've, I've really established. And so I chose the latter. And it was interesting because it really is, this new series is the antithesis of the initial series in that uh, I've gone from having a group of people who are loners to having a group of people who cannot get away from their families and going from quite an intensive to a very light one uh, and then and also going from having global characters, having uh, globalised experiences to really nailing down on an Antipodean voice and an Antipodean humour. So I guess it's it's all part of the journey, and I think I will go back into suspense some point. In fact, the other day I was just looking at some of the other stories that I've started and getting really excited about those. So I will eventually, I think, dovetail both. But this I I sort of read it as an opportunity and and went and done this track. Yes, look, that's great because actually um, you could you could have a dual you could do the dual thing. You could write under those two names and maintain both those profiles, couldn't you? Yes, and plenty of writers do. Yeah. In fact. Um, um, it used to be the rule that you would have different names for different genres, but a lot of writers aren't aren't even doing that. I mean, the the covers are usually enough to signpost to your readers what they're going to get and what to expect. Uh, so yeah, so I do have those two brands, and I, yeah, ideally, I think I will keep both of them going. Yes, yes, I'm thinking of Virgin River and Robin Carr's series that was picked up by Netflix. I mean, that's that's the sort of more much more localized community thing that but it still is in the thriller mystery genre. But American readers do seem to like those those quite closed environments and and local regional communities, don't they? Yes, absolutely. And I find it hard to uh, – and I think that's why I set my romantic thrillers globally because it was easier to write about people who don't have a fixed idea of where they come from and where they live and are kind of sort of global roamers than it is to set a uh, – series of books in a culture that's not mine. Yeah, yeah, I fully understand that. We're, we're focusing on Lovestruck. It features, as you've mentioned, a lovably dysfunctional family who are all cooped up together on an island resort, a perfect recipe for craziness and misbehaviour. And the resort is rather like the Sundays. and I gather that you've spent time in the Sundays. So was that kind of your model for Curlew Bay? It absolutely was. It wasn't my starting point. Interestingly, my starting point, I, I had the idea for this uh, novel several years ago when I was staying on a windswept beach on Waiheke in the middle of winter. <laughs> and I just had this idea for uh, a novel, as I say, that was the antithesis of what I've been writing, where everybody is is stuck together and cannot, cannot escape each other. But I just wanted some warmth. And so I really wanted to have a tropical setting because I love extreme settings and I love what that adds to uh, the characters' experiences and the conflicts they're facing. So I wanted this isolated tropical island. And of course, New Zealand doesn't have tropical islands, so I had to go searching for one. But as I say, I wanted to keep that Antipodean style humour. Uh, so I didn't want to go too far afield. And I had been in the Whitsundays uh a few years ago uh, with my husband and sailing around there. And it was, I, you know, it was, it was the obvious choice for me because it is, it is gorgeous and it's, it's a lot more untouched compared with um, other parts of, of Queensland. Yes. Yes. You mentioned the extreme environment, but also the couples that you put together are quite extreme in their disparities. They come from very contrasting backgrounds. And at the beginning, it's almost hard for the reader to think that you're going to be able to pair them up. Um, was that part of the fun for you as well? I think that's actually the most fun about working in this genre is to um, 
uh, pit together people who don't have a hope <laughs> of of working things out, seemingly on the surface, uh, for you know for a multitude of reasons, but making them fall in love anyway, because then they've really got to uh, they're forced into difficult choices about what they are are willing to give up for this and and what they want in life. And yeah, I, I think it's more interesting when a character has to make great sacrifices to to get that end goal. Yeah, that's right. And some of your people are facing big sacrifices. Um, you've got the feeling that it is probably a first in series and that there are quite a few characters and story threads that we're left at the end of Love Struck wanting to know, oh, I wonder what happened to so-and-so and how did that one work out? I imagine that's, that's very careful planning on your part, is that, is that there's another Curlew Bay book coming? Yeah, I, I, I do. Well, there is another book coming. Yes, there's another book coming in February. But I do have an idea of, of being able to take this in all sorts of different directions uh, over a longer period of time. But I also, I mean, even as a self-contained novel, I wanted it to be a bit messy. Um, I wanted Love Struck to be a bit messy. I, I didn't want it to be all neatly tied up. I wanted there to be, you know, some people get what they want, some people don't. And there are, it's just like normal life, right? We don't go through a period of a year, and by the end of that year, everything is wrapped up nicely. Yeah, that's good. There's always things that are a little bit messy. Yeah, that, that's actually very true, although it may be just a little bit against the romance genre idea that there has to be happily ever afters. Uh, how does that mesh in with that? Well, I think it's important that, you know, if you're presenting book as a romance, that, that the main couple uh you know, if this is the promise you're making, then the main couple has to be together by the end of the book. That's the promise to the genre, and you cannot break that promise. Uh, but for me, it was it, it was there's a whole lot of other threads. It was obvious that the main couple are in a good place. Uh, horrendous plot spoiler there, but you know, this is the genre we all know that that's going to happen. The interesting thing is how it happens. Yeah, right? that's right. But but it's the it's those other threads that I think um, reflect life and reflect the unfinished nature of life and also give me so much scope to explore future stories. Yes, I mean, Cody is one character we'd love to know. There's lots of possibilities there to get, for him to get his, his comeuppance, as they say, in terms of finding a woman who's going to pull him into line. <laughs> yeah, yeah, and, and that's definitely going to come into the next book. Yeah, he's an interest. He, he's sort of my playboy character, uh, but, you know, and, and very, very witty uh, and and very much a take him or leave him kind of guy. Uh, but yeah, yeah, as you say, he's he's got to come up and it's coming and it's coming. But you also have very cleverly given him, you know, these women, I mean, women are incorrigible at seeing depths in these sorts of characters and you already set him up with <laughs> having some quite interesting depths. You've, you're already convinced that he really is a nice guy underneath it all. <laughs> yeah, and I think that's true of, of, of real people, right? I mean, we've... There are you do get the occasional jerk who's just a you know a jerk who will who will never be anything else, but I think that's very rare. And actually, there are so many layers to us, and it's a case of encouraging people to bring out those layers, yeah, which makes things interesting from character perspective. Yeah. Now you have hinted to me that having a book coming out early next year is slightly problematic with the uh, the environment that we're living in at the moment. This global health crisis that we're all facing is so changing the face of what's possible. And I wondered if you could outline for us a few of the particular problems that you've got in, in finishing off a book that's due out next year. What are some of the issues that this global 
uh, crisis has presented. Yeah, it's it's a really interesting time. And I know a lot of authors are struggling with this at the moment because, of course, we've got novels that are set uh, in this day and age. You know, we don't necessarily refer reference a particular year, but the idea when you're reading a novel that comes out in 2020 is that it's set in 2020 unless uh, it, it, um, it says otherwise and the same with 2021. So, yeah, my next novel is due out in February. But I don't know what the world's going to look like in February. And, of course, this is this is a tourist uh, company. I mean, you know, the, the, the island is a resort island. So um, what's that going to look like for them? I've got – I've written the book already. It's with my editor at the moment, although it's got a few layers of editing to go through. Uh, but I have people flying in from America to go to this island. And I have, you know, p- people flitting over the world. Interestingly, uh, the book does open with the um, – the characters in a bit of a dilemma because the tourism industry has is down, or, or, or the, their own numbers are down, and they're wondering how they can get more people to come. So from that point of view, it's probably quite brilliant. But then, what do I do with that? Um, you know, do I get people pouring into the island again, or you know, and and it's impossible to know that. Yes, that's right. And and I was even thinking slightly longer term because different markets in different countries might get on their feet at different times. You're thinking of the US market, although perhaps you're not so concerned about that now, but the way it's looking at the moment, they may take a little bit longer to get back to normal than the the, um, Australia-New Zealand contingent because of the way that they're handling things. So it might last a bit longer there that the books have to be tailored to take that into account. Um, Do you think that that's something you also need to think about? Absolutely, because uh, the uh, in my character is American and he's coming from the US. So, oh. Eek, <laughs> and and his his mother is also a factor. She comes from the US. So, yeah, uh, I mean, I do have until uh, around October to finalise this novel. I mean, it's got to be pretty much uh, written and in shape by around September. And then I've got a little bit to, to, you know, add the finishing touches. But, yeah, I I mean, I I guess at some point I've got to take a leap of faith. Uh, But, you know, I I guess we've all got a choice to make. Do we ignore the pandemic and set our books in what life was two months ago? And in which case does it become a fantasy novel? Uh, Or do we acknowledge it and, and just hope that it's not going to be outside of the realm of possibility by then. It's really a really interesting time. And I know some people are talking about how we should all be writing historicals to get around this at the moment, or futuristic or dystopian. Uh, but yeah, so this is it's a real, really interesting time for contemporary writers. And it comes to mind that some readers might prefer anyway to read books that are, are liked the world was a couple of months ago like they might not want to be particularly reminded of all the upsets that have come with COVID-19 they might just want to pretend life is the same as it always was exactly yeah it could be a real fit thing Uh, and then if you do if you do acknowledge um, the pandemic and build in then you're running the risk of getting things wrong that are going to pull the reader out and the reader's going to say, hang on, yeah. no, that's not right. And and that's the worst thing you can do with a book and is, is pull the reader out of it. 
So, yeah, it's um, it's going to be an interesting conversation with my editor, I think, in the next few months. I must admit that just a little aside, you know, I'm trying to write historical mysteries. And one of the reasons I chose historicals was to avoid all of this ah. problem. Be- being older as well, I just felt that I didn't have enough of a understanding about how contemporary society really works. I just feel a little bit outside of, of you know, the whole sort of dating um, social media thing. I just didn't feel confident enough that I really had my finger on that pulse, which is one of the reasons I chose historical. I do like history as well, but it is a lot more convenient when these sorts of things arise. Absolutely. Yes, that's very prescient and wise of you. <laughs> I didn't foresee this pandemic, though. Um, the, the writer that I've just interviewed, that well, actually we've just posted her, um, her episode yesterday, Fiona Barton, the most recent thriller that she's done, one called The Suspect, is exactly this sort of book. And it's fantastic reading. It's about a couple of gap kids that go to Thailand for the sort of typical backpacker partying scene and are sending all these um, messages home on Facebook painting a picture of living the dream while things are going drastically wrong underneath. And she's really examined and gone into that whole thing of the way that we can use social media to lie. And she has a journalist who is involved who becomes part of the story. And she really focuses and challenges us on how we are using social media and what it's doing to us. So you can kind of go in that direction too and really get get into it or try and avoid noticing it at all, I suppose. Yeah, I love that concept. That, that's, that's you know, something that I think we've all started facing in the last year or two is everyone has these wonderful Instagram lives that don't reflect reality. I know when I take a photo for Instagram, I usually get the mess out of the edges of the frame before I take the photo. Yeah. <laughs> and, yeah. you know, I think, yeah, we all do that. But social media is an interesting one because, uh, yeah, it's so, such a huge part of our lives these days. Uh, I know, and especially at the moment, we're all locked down, right? I saw a fantastic little clip on TV a couple of nights ago of a couple that had started dating quotes in isolation. They, they spotted each other from balconies and then they actually went for their first date. He found a Zorb or bought a Zorb and he no. walked inside the Zorb and she walked beside him and that was their first date. Oh, that, that relationship is, is, is destined for great things, I think. That's gorgeous. <laughs> so maybe that's going to be the sort of plot lines and not romance novels we're going to see. Yeah, I'm, I'm sure there are people out in that, right? I mean, not that particular one, but writing those sorts of uh, uh, stories right now. Yeah, yeah. But I, I think that social actually does, like, you know, it gets, we haven't really grasped it yet, I don't think, and we haven't conquered it. It's a wild thing that that's getting away from all of us. But I think relationships can get deeper, that the written medium. Uh, it's like, you know, in the old days where you would write letters to your beloved and you'd probably say things in your letters that you wouldn't necessarily say face to face and and you get to a level of depth in your communication that you might not otherwise get from casual dating uh and I've worked that into my novel as well that we've there's a section where the characters are in touch with social media and actually they they do start to talk at a level they hadn't talked before and I think in those cases sometimes uh those communications become a journal and of course, in your journal, you're more likely to dig deeper than you are in perhaps a, even a telephone call with someone. 
And so you reveal things about yourself that you might necessarily reveal. So, yeah, you do dig a bit deeper. So I think that's there's so much space to explore how social media is influence, influencing relationships. Yes, yes. Look, just looking at the slightly wider scene, has this shutdown affected your promotional work for Love Struck too badly? Uh, I was fortunate that uh, the shutdown happened I don't know, uh, uh, six weeks after my book came out. So there was that. But unfortunately, uh, as with many authors, I have a load of paperback books stuck, locked away in closed shops ah. throughout New Zealand. And that's, it's just, it's heartbreaking. Of course, we are so lucky that we live in an ebook era, but there's so many people who don't like reading ebooks. Uh, and for them, this, yeah, so. They can't access my book. And, uh, you know, Mighty Ape uh, had stopped delivering, as have all uh, book retailers. So a friend of mine was waiting for her copy, and she and it's now been, been – she said it would have been perfect to have during the isolation, but it's, uh, it's you know, stuck in transit like many uh, products are in New Zealand. Uh, I, it, my book is available in Australia, and their bookstores are still operating. But the foot traffic has increased so much that I really don't know how how we're doing over there. So all we can hope is that uh, the ebook market is propping it up, and that people are turning to ebooks and buying it on ebook. I haven't actually; it's still very early days, and I don't have a lot of numbers yet. Uh, but I mean, I think we can safely say that any book that's that's been published in the last month or two is not going to see the same numbers as it may have. Yes, I, I hadn't even thought of that, actually, because I must admit I'm still buying a few books through Book Depository, which is, I hate to say it, but it's one of my go-to. I, I run a few competitions, and the, and the winners are often not in New Zealand, so I just order the books through Book Depository because I don't have to pay freight, and they're still delivering. So I hadn't even really cottoned on to that. That would be a real really hurtful thing to be thinking of your books all shut up when people are wanting to buy them it's really yeah hard mm, yeah and I really feel for books uh, for, for authors whose books have come out in the last few weeks that must be really tough I think probably quite a few have been delayed but I, I know that the Australian books are still coming out and yeah they must uh, be in 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 a tough spot mm, mm. now we've we've been through quite a cataclysmic time not just with the virus but with what's been happening with New Zealand magazines and you're working on one which was an iconic New Zealand magazine, the New Zealand Women's Weekly. It's been closed along with a lot of other magazines because of this um, pandemic. How big is the impact on you personally? I mean, we're all really, really grieving for the loss of these magazines, but you're one of the staff members affected, so it must be particularly hard. So hard. It's just been heartbreaking. Um especially to have it happen while we're in lockdown. So I can't even, you know, we, we can't even get together and have a drink and passing of these amazing publications. And, I mean, I'm hoping that some of them will be, be resurrected. Uh, you know, things like the Women's Weekly, the Listener, these brands have been around for such a long time. It would be devastating if they didn't, if they weren't able to come back in some form. Uh, so for me, I'm a little bit cushioned in that it was a part-time job and not a full-time job. You know, I really feel for all those people who were working full-time who have have lost not only their immediate job but you know every uh, media outlet in New Zealand is is laying off staff and or letting go freelancers so actually the chances of finding work in the industry in the next 
year or, or more are, are really slim. Uh, so the, the problem for me is that this was what was what was my steady anchor while I took on the more risky business of, of publishing novels. So I've lost my anchor and, you know, that, yeah, that's, a, that's kind of scary. Uh, but it's also an opportunity and I, I've been meaning to publish indie books for a, a long time, uh, but I'm such a slow writer that all I can cope with really is just doing the writing. So now I think is my time. Yes, see it as an opportunity. Exactly. But, I mean, I do feel, you know, I feel for um, New Zealand as a whole for losing the, this, these cultural icons and also for the readers who, some of whom have been reading these magazines for decades and who are now isolated in lockdown, some of them themselves, and won't get their Women's Weekly. Actually, today was the day, I think, or yesterday, I think, is the day that subscribers usually get Women's Weekly, and, and it won't be turning up for them, and that makes me so sad. Yes, I actually must admit, I got I had a, a um, comment on a blog post that I did from someone who said she was visiting an elderly lady who usually got her listener, and this lady is in total lockdown, and she just relied on her listener every week. It was like a companion, and now it's just not coming anymore, and she's just bereft. Mm. Yeah, it's so sad. And there was a lovely um, uh, interview on Radio New Zealand with uh, Jean Top. The uh, your name's Jean. Did I get that name right? Uh, the Top Twins mum. Oh yes. Saying that you know she bought her. She's in her eighties, and she bought her first copy of the Woman's Weekly when she was in her twenties, and has been reading it ever since. Yeah. Of course, the Weekly loves the Top Twins. Yeah. We adore the Top Twins. <laughs> And we feature them as much as we possibly can. And so, you know, that's I, I, I feel for people like her, you know, who who own this publication more than any of us do. And and you've worked on it before, of course, as well. There, there are so many people with an ownership of this of these titles. It's that, yeah, as I say, I hope that they can be resurrected by some white knight or, you know, yeah. someone, yeah. I agree. Someone out there. I agree. Just to explain for American readers that or listeners that the Top Twins are a very well-known musical and com comedian twins. They are really twins, and they are very funny. They are in themselves national icons, aren't they? <laughs> oh, they are absolutely yes. Look, turning to Bronwyn as reader, because we're sort of coming to the end of our time. It's been fantastic to cover this ground, but just getting back onto track with talking about binge reading. I don't know if you've had much chance to read with everything else that's been going on, but just generally over the last six months or so, have you had much chance to read and what have you what have you been reading? Reading is is my escape, although sometimes if I've had a day of words between my day job and, and writing novels, I, I just can't face looking at another word. But um, yeah, I, I have been reading a lot, of course, in the rom-com genre, uh, and and that's actually been a really good time to be yeah. exploring the rom-com genre because it's, you know, you need that lightness. And I've, I've read some great books recently. Um, there is The Flat Chair by Beth O'Leary, which is a UK book, uh, um, but uh, rom-com. Uh, I enjoyed The Hating Game. I think everyone has enjoyed that. That's uh, written by an Australian author, but with a uh, fairly universal US setting. Uh, there, oh, the other one I've loved is uh, Starcrossed by an Australian author called Minnie Dark, uh, which has got the most glorious concept where she, the heroine works in a magazine and she tweaks the horoscopes of the guy that she's uh, got her eye on because she knows he's addicted to the column. So, 
all these aquariums all around Melbourne start having very strange uh, things happening to them because they're, they're following these these both star signs. And it doesn't go the way that she thinks it's going to go, as always happens in a rom-com. That's delicious. Uh, but I'm also – I just finished reading uh, Where the Crawdads Sing, which has come so yes. recommended. And yeah, yeah. Oh, wow, what a book. That's amazing. Uh, but what I'm reading at the moment is actually an Edith Wharton uh, novel that I hadn't even come across, a very short novel called Summer. So I've just started that last night. So that's quite nice to, to as you say, go back into history where none of this pandemic had happened and and – and you know, leave all that behind. Yes, yes, yeah, yeah. Oh, that's great. Uh, those all sound marvelous. I love the sound of the star game. It sounds very clever. Yeah, star-crossed, Yes, it's oh, star-crossed, um, it's, sorry. Star-crossed, that's right. Yeah. It's uh, yeah, definitely um, uh, one of my go-to recommendations at, at the moment. Mm-hmm. So, I guess looking over this last period of of your fiction career. What has Bronwyn Sal learnt perhaps in the last 18 months or so that Bryn Kelly didn't know? Is there something that in your new self as a writer you've realised Bryn wasn't so aware of? It's <laughs> a excellent question. <laughs> so it makes you sound a bit double, double personality, doesn't it? But <laughs> Well, I think we all feel a bit like that sometimes in the genre when you're writing in different, um, you know, different pen names. I think... Um, what the uh, biggest learning curve for me has been learning to write a book that doesn't have an external suspense plot to at its heart. So, you know, shaping a book that doesn't have those very uh, definite beats and that, that definite rising mm-hmm. tension that you get with suspense. Then again, having said that, of course, all co- commercial fiction is created around the suspense. You know, it's all about the suspense. And in romance, it's usually a will they, won't they, or, or how will they work this out? So I guess it was taking those beats that I'd learned from writing romantic thrillers and using them in a romantic comedy context so I could still uh, create suspense and still use those suspense tools that, that I've I've learned but within the genre of romantic comedy. Yes, yeah, so they're more emotionally driven rather than the externally driven through events that, that occur. Exactly, far more internal stories. But then again, in Love Struck, I do have a lot happening on the outside as well. There are, um, you know, lots of bedling family and lots of things coming in from outside. But actually, yeah, it, it is very much an eternal journey of each of these characters. Uh, and it's a case of, you know, learning to write a quieter story in that way. Mm, mm. So what is next for Bronwyn the writer? I mean, we've covered some of that ground, but um, do you think that you might turn around and try and do some quick fire indies? <laughs> yeah, that's that's my plan. Uh, my the, the biggest success critically, I guess, I had with my Legionnaire ser- series was with a novella, uh, which was, in that case, it was so under 40,000 words, just under 40,000 words. And I loved writing that and I wrote it very quickly and I won the reader for it. And so I'd really love to dip back in there and try to write some more uh, shorter books for the US market in romantic thrillers. But I also, um, I am able with my contract for Lovestruck to write shorter books and indie publish them. So I'm thinking of a series of, of related books to 
love struck that I could pop possibly indie publish and just sit within that universe but with different characters. So there's lots of possibilities and I yeah, as I say, I'm going to use this door closing to open another and try and explore those, but you know, very much at uh, in formative stages at the moment. That sounds great, Bronwyn. I and I think you'd you do that extremely well. I really do. I think that that's a very productive vein to try and see how you could mine it. Um, I remember at Romance Writers Conference last year, um, one of the presentations talked about somebody who'd launched a whole series with three novellas and it had been very, very successful. So I, I just that stuck in my mind as being something that is an option for writers to do. Yeah, and I think uh, yeah, uh, writing shorter books more often is is a very it's very conducive to the indie publishing format. Uh, so that's something yeah, to explore. Yeah, yeah, yeah. So your readers, um, how do they like to interact with you, and where can they find you online? I'm on uh, Insta and Facebook mostly, but I, I I am on Twitter, but I find whenever I tweet, it just seems to go woo into this big abyss and, and I don't get much engagement there. So, yeah, Insta, um, I'm at writerbron, uh, Twitter, Bryn Writes, and Facebook, if you just uh, search up Bronwyn Sell Author, that would be, that would find you, find me. We'll put all those links in the um, blog that we run with this podcast so people will be able to find you if they go online and look. Great. Wonderful. Look, it's been marvellous talking. Thank you so much and all the very best in finding a way through this very perilous environment. Thanks, Jenny. You too. <laughs> okay. Talk to you again. When you when you get into indie, we'll do it a third time. How about that? <laughs> Lovely. Oh, it's a deal. It's a deal. Thanks, Jenny. <laughs> Good to talk to you. Bye. Bye. Thanks for listening to the Joys of Binge Reading podcast. You can find all the details and links for this episode at www.thejoysofbingereading.com. We'd love to hear your comments and suggestions for who you'd like us to interview next. And if you enjoyed the show, take a moment to subscribe on iTunes or a similar provider so you won't miss out on future guests. Thanks for joining us and happy reading. The Joys of Binge Reading podcast is put together with fantastic technical help from Dan Cotton and Abe Raffles. Dan is an experienced sound and video engineer who's ready and available to help you with your next project. Seek him out at dcaudioservices at gmail.com. That's D for Daniel, C for Charlie, audio services at gmail.com or check our show notes. He's fast, he takes pride in getting it right and he's great to work with. Our voiceovers are done by Abe Raffles, another gem of sound and screen. Abe has 20 years of experience on both sides of the camera slash microphone. As a cameraman director and also as a voice artist and TV presenter. I think you'd agree that his voice is both light-hearted and warm. He is super easy to work with, no matter what the job. You'll find him at abe, A-B-E, at pointandshoot.co.nz. As I say, the full details in the show notes on the website. That's it for now. Thanks for listening. Hopefully see you next week. Bye.